BBS students here. Hope you can try to follow along. Uh, there are four men in Acts chapter 8. Four men. And let's turn there and I'll tell you who they are as you turn there. The first man in Acts chapter 8 is Saul of Tarsus, a troublemaker, a religious man, very zealous. He was a defender of his religion, Judaism, and he was trying to stop, to, to stamp out any religion that would be going against his religion. He's very sincere, and he tried to eliminate all of his enemies. That's Saul of Tarsus, but he would get saved in the next chapter, and his life would be different. He'd no longer be going after Christians, putting them in jail. He would instead be preaching the gospel, the very same thing he tried to stop. That's the first man. The second man is Philip, verses 5 through 8. Philip, verses 5 through 8. The first man, Saul of Tarsus, is verses 1 through 4. And I'm working my way down to the real subject for tonight. And it involves Philip. He is a faithful Christian, a faithful witness. He was, you remember, one of the first deacons chosen in Acts chapter 6. And he would be used by the Lord in this chapter to bring a man to Christ. And he would become the first real Gentile that ever got saved in the New Testament. Philip was the one who led him to the Lord. Then you have another man. I will not talk about him. Uh, he, is, he is the man who was a sorcerer. His name was Simon. In verses 9 through 24, no time for him tonight. Not the purpose of that tonight. My purpose is to come to verse number, uh, verse number 26. Acts 8, 26. The fourth man. The fourth man. Acts chapter 8, verse number 26. You students tell me who this man is. Use your tools for navigating the Bible. Ask yourself some questions. Who is this man? Acts chapter 8, and come down to verse 26. Let's see who this man is. Look for yourself in your own Bible, verse number 26. And the angel of the Lord spake unto Philip, saying, Arise, and go toward the south, unto the way that goeth down from Jerusalem unto Gaza, which is desert. Verse 27. And he arose and went, and behold, a man of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority, under Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who had the charge of all her treasure, and had come to Jerusalem for to worship. Now, from what you've learned, what questions do you ask yourself? Who, what, when, where, how? Uh, five W's and one H. Okay, so who? Who, who met this other who? To who, sir? Who was it? Philip. And who did Philip run into? Okay, an Ethiopian. All right. Now, this Ethiopian, uh, several things about this man, because the lesson tonight is about that man and the other man, Philip. They both are the real important figures for tonight. Philip, the Christian, the deacon, everywhere he goes, he's preaching the gospel. Everywhere Philip goes, he's telling somebody about the resurrected Jesus Christ. Is there a lesson to learn about that? What's the lesson to learn? If you're a Christian, everywhere you go, you take Jesus with you. Everywhere you go, he's with you. And if God gives you an opportunity to speak about the Lord, that's what you do. That's what Philip did. He goes down to Samaria. A lot of people come to Christ. 
But then the Lord tells him, go down to the desert toward Gaza. And there's two roads that go down toward the desert. He, the Lord leads him to the, the difficult road, the small road. And there he would meet one man. This man, the Ethiopian. And there he would give him the gospel, explain the Old Testament to him. And the man would get saved. And so Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch. Now the Ethiopian man, he's a eunuch. Um, there are two ways to look about this man who's a eunuch. He was, something happened to him physically, so he became that. Or he has uh, some authority, and he's not one really. And so whatever the case would be, I tend to think that he was, actually as the Bible says, a eunuch in his strictest definition. And he was serving for a very important person named Candace, the queen of Ethiopia. And he's got responsibility over money. What does that tell you about a man who has responsibility over money? Is he kind of like not dependable? Is he kind of like don't show up for work because he doesn't feel like it? What kind of man is he if he's got responsibility over the queen's treasures? Is he, is he multiple choice? Is he responsible? Is he, is he slothful? Is he careless? Or none of the above? What kind of man is he? Just spit it out. Responsible. You don't have responsible people, or irresponsible people do important things like that. And so that's the kind of man that he is. Now this man, if you think with me, he went down to Jerusalem. Do you know that from where he was in Ethiopia down to Jerusalem, it was a long trip, which tells me something about this man. First of all, the Ethiopian eunuch, he was a responsible man because of his position handing all this money. I know something else about him. He is a hungry man because he has heard about the God of Israel. He makes a long trip down to Jerusalem over up to close to 1,000 miles. And he goes down there to the temple to try to worship the God of the Hebrews. So we know something about him. He's curious, he's sincere, and he's not happy. The religion that he has in Ethiopia does not give him peace in his heart. His heart is sad, his heart is empty, his heart is lacking something. And so he's gonna take a chance to go down there. And he may have even converted to the Jewish religion. But if he did that, it's still not satisfying his soul and his heart. Now here's a lesson to remember. You can have all kinds of religion and still in your heart be sad, lonely, unfulfilled, don't have any peace because you don't know if your sins are forgiven. You don't know if you're going to go to heaven when you die. The Ethiopian eunuch is a man who is searching for more. He's looking for more. He's digging for more. He wants more. He wants something that will satisfy his heart. And so now I have a question. How did he hear about the God of Israel? He's in Ethiopia. That's a long way away. How do you hear about the God of Israel? Any ideas? You'd have to do some digging, use some reference works later on, but you find out that perhaps he heard about the God of Israel because years ago, years ago, a queen made a trip down to Jerusalem to see the glory and splendor of King Solomon. And when she came back, she told everything that she saw and heard and experienced when she went down to Jerusalem. So the queen of Sheba, 900 years before that, could have 
been an influence and had spread that way. So he heard about the God of Israel from someone, first hand or second hand. The fact is he heard about this God that perhaps could satisfy his spiritual hunger. People like that are still around today. You may have a friend uh, in school, if you're in a public school, that is religious. They may go to church with their parents every Sunday. They may not know much about their religion, but they're not really in their hearts happy. They're not sure that they'll go to heaven when they die. But you do, you know. And be like a Philip and be ready to tell, explain the gospel to someone. So look at chapter 8 of Acts. The Ethiopian man, he has been on a trip down to Jerusalem. And now this man is coming back home to Ethiopia. Look at verse 28. Was returning from where? From where? Where had he gone? Jerusalem. Is that right? It's yes or no. Yes. He was either going or coming back from Jerusalem. What did the Bible say? Was returning. Verse 28. Was returning from Jerusalem. And sitting in his chariot. Read Isaiah the prophet. So this man who is religious. He's sincere. But he's not a Christian yet. He's returning from that long trip. I suspect he was not very happy. Because he still has some curiosity look at verse 29 then the spirit said unto Philip go near and join thyself to this chariot verse 30 and Philip did something what did he do he ran thither to him that shows that he was pretty enthusiastic and quite ready to obey what the Lord told him and heard him read the prophet Isaiah and said understandest thou what thou readest so so far what we've learned from this chapter about this man, the Ethiopian eunuch, and this man, Philip. Philip quickly obeys what the Lord tells him. So he runs to see this man who is in this chariot. And he hears him reading from the book of Isaiah. And he asked a question. What did he ask him? Understandest what thou readest? How do we say it today? Do you understand what you're reading? What else will we say today in asking that question if you live in Hawaii? Hey, bro, what are you reading? Reading, I don't know, Isaiah. Hey, bro, you understand what you're reading, huh? That's how we went said. But he didn't say it like that because he wasn't in Hawaii. And so he did ask him the question, do you understand what you read? Verse, 20, uh, verse number 30. Look at his answer, verse number 31. 31. And he said, how can I, how can I understand what I'm reading? Except some man should guide me now we're going to learn three things so far right now in these passages in these few verses uh, we're going to find out that some things will be made clear because there is some confusion now first of all there's confusion about the scripture because the man did not understand what he's reading again he's religious he's sincere he really wants to know but he can't understand He's unclear about who the sacrificial lamb is in Isaiah 53. 
And so there is some confusion about the scripture. Number two, there is some clarification on the scripture. Look at verse number 35. Then Philip opened his mouth and began at the same scripture and preached unto him Jesus. Look at verse number 40. But Philip was found in Azotus, and passing to, and he preached in all the cities until he came to Caesarea. Now, the clarification Philip makes to this man who is sincere, religious, but he's not a Christian, doesn't understand, he's confused about Isaiah 53. Philip comes and explains to him what he is reading, and he clarifies and he interprets the symbolism of the sacrificial lamb in prophecy. And he specifically identifies who the lamb is. Ethiopian, curious, unsafe, sincere, religious. He does not understand. He is spiritually unable to. And God used a man named Philip to explain to him and clarify the scriptures. So there's confusion. Now there's clarification. Also, look at verse number 36. As Philip explains to him about who the sacrificial lamb is, Jesus Christ, look at verse number 36. And as they went on their way, the continuing the chariot, both of them, they came unto a certain water, and the eunuch said, See, here's water. What doth hinder me to be baptized? Now, how would you ask that question today? The King James Bible says, What doth hinder me to be baptized? How would you say that question today? How would you say it today? Yes. Yes. Yeah. Say again. What stopped me from getting baptized? Mm -hmm. okay, anybody else got a, a, a take on that one? All right. What keeps me from getting baptized? Here's water. Can I get baptized over here? He's asking a question. Now, there's now clarification on why he cannot get baptized or why he can be baptized. Clarification. He wanted to be water baptized. And Philip says it's one condition that will permit you to be baptized or there's one condition that will prevent you from being baptized look at what the answer is verse number 37 and Philip said if thou believest with all thine heart thou mayest so Philip explained to him well you don't get baptized in water unless you're first a believer unless you put your trust in Jesus Christ when you do that, that's the one thing you must do. You must be saved first. So he is really saying to him, what keeps you from getting baptized? Well, he says, if you believe, we would say, and this would be accurate in the New Testament, you must be saved first. Being saved first is what qualifies you to get baptized. Now, remember, he may have been thinking about doing certain things to be baptized, religious things, religious acts. But Philip really explained to him from Isaiah 53, no, you've read about the death and resurrection of Christ, at least certainly for sure his death, his crucifixion. He died for our sins, our substitute. And if you put your faith in him and be saved, then you can be baptized. So there's a clarification of water baptism. Well, what does that mean practically? If you are a baby, can you get baptized if you're a baby? Why not? The answer is true. You, you cannot, but why not? What's one thing that keeps babies from getting saved? Uh, uh, baptized. <laughs> I gave it away. 
You have to believe. Let me ask a question. Can a two-year-old baby believe? Can a two-year-old baby understand a lot of things? Can a two-year-old baby understand what you understand today in your life? If you're much older, oh, five years old, you're six, seven, you know, you understand more than a two-year-old, even a three-year-old maybe. Well, you have to understand a little bit about sin. You have to understand about who Jesus is and what he did for you. There's some basic things to understand before you can believe. So a baby cannot get baptized because a baby cannot believe. A baby cannot believe. But as you grow older and get exposed to the gospel, you begin to comprehend in your mind. You begin to understand what the Bible says about what Jesus did. And you begin to believe certain things about him. So what keeps from getting baptized? He says, oh, you got to believe first. And here's what he said. Look at verse number 37. If thou believest with all thine heart, thou mayest. You can if you believe. And he answered, the Ethiopian answered and said, I what? I believe. I believe something specific. I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. The belief is very specific. I believe Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Involved in that sentence is, I believe that he died, was buried, and rose again. And all of that is in, I believe. Now, today, when people get saved, it's a matter of just believing on Christ. One time, there's a man in the book of Acts chapter 16. He is a Philippian jailer. And a great miracle took place. And he was going to kill himself because his commanding officer killed him anyway for letting these prisoners go free. He thought that they were uh, escaped now because the bars were open. Surely they would have escaped. He's a dead man. He's going to fall on his sword and kill himself. Put his sword right over here like this, right against his throat right here. And he's going to kneel down and just fall and plunge it through his right here. But, but Paul says, stop. We're all here. He put his sword down in shock to see these two men, Paul and Silas there. And he said, what must I do to be saved? Paul says, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. And it dawned on that man, there's something supernatural going on here. These men, and all of these, a lot of things went through his head. It came down to him believing on Jesus Christ. And he got saved. And after he got saved, he got baptized. So baptism comes, well, let's think baseball. Second base, first base, third base, and home. First base. Before you get to second base, you got to go to first base. First base is saved. Second base is baptism. Okay, now I don't want this to be. <laughs> but I'm just trying to illustrate that there is a progression. Before you get baptized, you must be, would you please say the word with me? You must be saved. You must believe on Christ before you get baptized. A lot of folks think that if they get baptized, they'll be saved. Is that backwards? When you hit the ball at baseball, you don't run to second base. If you do that, you'll be out. That's illegal. When it comes to spiritual matters, you must be saved and then get baptized. First base and then second base. You cannot get baptized in hopes of becoming a Christian. You have to understand that. So, what does it to me to be baptized? Well, it says if you believe... 
You have to believe first. Now look at verse number 37 again. He answers, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. This, look what happens next. Verse number 38. And he, Philip, commanded the chariot to stand still. Whoa, Nelly. Whoa. Stop. The horse stopped. And they went down both into what? Imagine with me the words that you're reading. The chariot stopped, and they, who are the they? Tell me the, the they, who they are. The eunuch and, very good. Eunuch and Philip, they got on the chariot. They both went down into the water. And watch what happens. Both Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And then look at verse number 39. And when they were come up out of the water. What does that tell you about how deep the water was? Are you imagining in your head what happened here? The chariot stopped. Whoa! They stopped. They both got on the chariot. They walked down to the pond. They walked onto the pond. We don't know how deep the pond was. It doesn't matter. But we know they went down into the water and he baptized him. Baptism, we shall, we shall see in Romans chapter 6. It is being in the water, going into the water, and coming out of the water. That's what it says. It didn't say that that's what happened, but they went both down into the water and they came out of the water. Does that sound like someone getting uh, uh, ointment of oil on the forehead? No. Does it sound like they were sprinkled by the priest? No, they went down into the water. So the water must have been enough to cover both of them. No, cover at least one of them. <laughs> so what you see about how baptism is performed, it is by going into water. So when a Christian is baptized, he stands in a body of water, could be in a baptismal pool, could be in a tank, and, he's, and he goes under the water and comes out of the water. And what does that represent? Going down into the water and coming out of the water. Look at Acts chapter 6. Acts chapter 6. Now, primarily, this chapter talks about spiritual identification with Jesus Christ, his death and resurrection. But there are some practical statements also in this chapter. Acts chapter 6. And come to verse number three. Know ye not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death. Now, listen carefully. The word baptism means to go into, go under, to be immersed. Okay, baptism. What's the matter? Oh, I'm sorry. Chapter six, verse number three. I thought I said number three. Acts, Romans. Romans, Romans, <laughs> Romans chapter 6, verse number 3. Know you not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized unto death? Now, you learn today one word about Bible study context. Now, you have the word baptized in verse number 3, yes? You have the word baptized in Acts chapter 8, yes? You would think it means the same thing, but the answer is no, because of the context. Acts chapter uh, 6 is a spiritual baptism, placing the believer spiritually into the body of Christ, spiritually. Rome, uh, Acts chapter 8 is a water baptism, where men physically, literally, go in the water, one goes under the water, and comes up out of the water, literally. 
physical water. This is a spiritual baptism. So we are placed into the body of Christ, verse number three, verse number four. Therefore, we are buried with him by baptism. So being baptized is going under, under water. Baptism unto death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, resurrection, even so we also should walk in newness of life. So continuing in verse number five, for if we have been planted together in the likeness of his death, we shall all be also in the likeness of his resurrection. So you have a picture of the death and the burial of Jesus Christ and his resurrection. And when the Christian is baptized, he pictures, he's identified with the death of Christ and the burial of Christ and the resurrection of Christ when you come out of the water. That's what it symbolizes. But there's a practical part of the water baptism. Uh, come down to verse number six again. That henceforth we should not serve sin. Verse seven. For he that is dead is freed from sin. Verse eight. Now if we be dead with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him. Verse nine. Knowing that Christ being raised from the dead, dieth no more, death hath no more dominion over him. Look at verse 10. For in that he died, he died unto sin once, but in that he liveth, he liveth unto God. Now, if you look at that, he liveth unto God, keep that in mind and come back to verse number four. The end of verse number four. So we also should walk in units of life. Now let's put this together. When you get baptized in water, you are saying, I'm identifying Jesus Christ who died, was buried, and was raised from the dead, literally. When I get baptized, I'm dying, identifying with Christ spiritually, and like he was buried, I'm going under the water, being buried in water, but I'm not staying there. I'm going to be resurrected, raised up. And when I'm raised up, I'm also saying that I will walk in newness of life. I no longer will serve sin. That's what your heart is saying. That's what you're saying to those who witness the baptism. So it has a lot of spiritual meaning to it. A lot of, a lot of, I want to live for God meaning. All right? But the baptism that the eunuch did was a literal baptism. It has symbolic spiritual meaning to it. Now, when we have a baptism on the 30th, that's some of the things I would explain to you. I want to explain to you today because the context factor came into play tonight in Acts chapter 8 in connection to Romans chapter 6. The water baptism and the spiritual baptism are not the same. It's different. But the symbolism we see very clearly about water baptism and how it means for the Christian. Uh, you know, the course we sometimes think, I have decided to follow Jesus. That's about that too. So everyone who is saved, everyone who is saved, that's the first thing. Their next step to be water baptized. Um, that should take place as soon as possible. All the Bible cases of people getting saved and get baptized happen very quickly. But sometimes in real life, not that that was real life, sometimes in our lives, we have conditions, circumstances that keeps us getting baptized so soon. And it's better to be sure that you're saved and then take the step of obedience to be baptized than to do it too quickly without understanding what you're doing. So those who are getting baptized on the 30th, uh, the, the parents have given assurance that they have trusted in Christ and that they will be baptized. 
The one man that will be baptized, he gave a testimony about his conversion to Christ. So we're satisfied that he really did get saved and that he is now ready to be baptized. So that'd be on the 30th. There's several others. I think there's like three more that need to get baptized. And so we need to confirm with them. But uh, salvation first, yes. Salvation ours first. Can babies be baptized? Very definitely no. That does not wash away anybody's sins. But being saved does. Being born again does. And then does baptism in water. Uh, what are the three parts to it? What does it represent? The it represents the It represents the Why didn't you say so? You knew the answer. Oh, because I'm shy. Okay. Well, and when the Christian is baptized, he's identified with Christ spiritually. He's also saying, I've died with Christ spiritually, and I'm raised with Christ spiritually, and I intend to walk in a new life. I intend to live for Jesus Christ. That's very meaningful to a young believer, to anyone who gets baptized. And it should have a good effect on your thinking. It should cause you to be determined to live for Jesus Christ because he died for you. All right? So those who have been baptized, it's a big day. It's a good day. And it'll encourage you to live for the Lord even more, perhaps, and hopefully so. So four important men in this chapter, and we focused on Philip, a man who witnessed wherever he went. And then he went down a dusty deserty road to Gaza, ran to a man. By the way, question. By the way, question. When Philip went down, when he went down from Jerusalem, went down, 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 down this road, did he know that he had run to the Ethiopian eunuch? Did he know? Did he know? I'm going to down this road because I'm going to run to this man. Did he know that? No. You know what he knew? He knew and when he obeyed that, he went down, 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 down that dusty road and he eventually ran to the man sitting in his chariot reading Isaiah. He didn't know that. Who knew that? Who knew that he was going to meet the Ethiopian eunuch coming back from Jerusalem? God did. So God says, God says, hmm, that man who just came back from Jerusalem, watch, that man who just came back from Jerusalem, well, he is searching so much for my son, he doesn't know where to turn, but he's getting close because he's reading the book of Isaiah, he's reading a prophecy about my son's death on the cross, and that's a good start. But he's still stuck. He needs someone to help him. And so, because God knew that, God told Philip, Philip, I want you to go this way down here. And Philip ran to him eventually, all indicating his zeal to do right. And Philip obeyed him and he went in that direction. And guess what happened? The man coming down from Jerusalem, uh, not Jerusalem, yeah. He's coming down. He's going back to Ethiopia. 
and they meet right over here. X marks the spot. In other words, it was not a coincidence that they met. Not a coincidence. It was like almost a divine plan. It was almost, it was meant to be. But don't take that in a superstitious way as people do. It was meant to be. It was meant to be because he obeyed what God said. And when he obeyed what God said, he met someone he didn't know, but God had set it up to have an intersection in life, and that's what happened. And he gave him the God, he got saved. First Gentile in the New Testament gets saved, a real Gentile. Not a Samaritan, a real Gentile. So that happened because of that. And your lesson to learn is, the lesson to learn is, when you obey what the Lord tells you, something will happen along the way in your obedience that'll help someone or you'll get a blessing. That's the generic way of looking at that. But when you disobey, what if you said, what if you said, um, you know, they said to Philip, go down, go down. And Philip said, you know, where, where am I going? What if you argued with the Lord? What if he said, why should I go down there? You know, sometimes we say, why should I go down there? Or, well, if you don't tell me, I won't go. But would the Lord tell us to do something that's bad? No. Do something that's wrong? No. What if he said, you know, I'm not, what if it was like Jonah? Go to Nineveh. Uh-uh. They're bad people. No, me, not me. Then he may not have met the Ethiopian, and the Ethiopian may not have gotten saved that day. So when you obey what the Lord says in small things, then, for, of course, first of all, you're pleasing the Lord. <laughs> Secondly, you might get a blessing. And thirdly, someone else might get a blessing. Okay? Let me, let, let's get real practical before we end up tonight. Let's get real practical. Besides the, the, the aspect of bringing someone to Christ, how about practically just being obedient in basic things of the Christian life? Now, when, when Saturday night comes, some people step real late Saturday night, which means the next day they don't get up. I used to step real late every night when I was younger. I don't do that anymore. I go to bed early, get up early. Sometimes I go back to sleep after I get up early, and then I get up the second time, I'm retired. But I gotta get up. But some people, when Saturday comes, they sleep late, late, late. They go to bed late, late, late. And then next day comes, time to get up, get up, time to go to church. Get up, time to go. Cover your head. You know what your parents do? They give up. Ah, oh, we're gonna be late. Stay asleep. You get up at two o'clock in the afternoon on Sunday. Bad, bad, bad. Not good. But if you make yourself do the right thing and obey God, you don't know if you'll get blessed up, but likely you will. Likely you will. So don't don't cheat yourself out of a blessing by disobeying God in small things. Okay? How long feel like reading my Bible? Well, sure. A lot of things get in the way. With school coming up. Oh, homework, homework, homework. I gotta do my homework. And then you finish your homework, you're so tired, you say, I don't have time to look at my Bible. Well, you gotta do your homework, but you gotta read your Bible. You can't you can't do one over the other. You can't read your Bible and not do your homework. Can you do both? You can do both. And so God will give you a blessing if you do the right thing, if you obey him. You know what I found out? I finished with this. I found this to be true. When I don't want to do the right thing, but I do it, afterwards I feel better. That's right. Afterwards, but not right now. 
You don't know how many times I'd like to stay home on Sunday morning and catch up on the sleep that I missed because I got up too early. Got up at three, went to bed at two, uh, four, and then by the time I get up again, it's like, ah, I had to get any sleep. And there, if sometimes I just, I don't want to get up. But you see me here on Sunday, but when I left the house, I didn't feel like leaving the house. Just being honest. But after I'm in church, shake hands with a few people, see you and everything, and get to going and singing a few songs and uh, you know, I feel all right. I feel like I'm glad I came to church. Got my coffee and donuts over here. I feel pretty good then. I feel like I'm glad I came. And then I feel like, what a fool I would have been to stay home. By the time I go home, I was glad I came to church. Do you understand, ladies and gentlemen, young people, that when you obey like he obeyed, it could be because God's going to have you run to somebody that needs maybe your word of encouragement or help, or maybe even the gospel, if you just do the right thing. So don't don't let your feelings always dictate to you what to do. That's right. Oh boy. No, let me tell you one more thing, then I'm done. Finally, my brethren. I had a job one summer when I was in high school. It was working with a mason. It was a part-time job, very part-time. They needed some help, to, and I, I went to work. From mason, mason's the concrete, hard work. I was the gopher because, you know, unskilled, untrained, just a body that had strength to carry this, carry that, pick up this, pick up that, give it to the guys who had all the skill. And I was so tired at the end of that day, I don't know if I even took a shower that day. That's very tired. And so the next day, when he dropped me off, he said, I'll be back tomorrow at uh, 7 o'clock. I said, okay. Well, back then I was sleeping in the living room on the floor under a desk. I was so tired, the horn honked at seven o'clock. Beep, 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 beep. I said, oh, beep, beep, beep. I knew who it was. My brain kicked in, oh. And I tossed this way, beep, beep, beep. And I tossed the other way. He beat the horn, must have been 12 times. Finally took off. You know what happened? I missed that ride to work with uh, Mason, lost my job. I didn't feel like getting up. I could have gotten up and said, give me five minutes, you just got up. He said, you better hurry. Now, he could have said that. I could have said, wait, wait, I just got up. I could have rushed real fast because I'm a guy. You know, girls, you take longer to get ready for going somewhere. But I could have rushed out in five minutes, you know. And, Got to his truck and without eating breakfast and take off. Oh, I still got to the job site, but I just couldn't get up. I felt because I was tired. My feelings just over overcame any sense of responsibility, any sense of duty, any sense of doing what I committed to do, and I blew it. So I didn't have any money that summer to spend. I had one day of work to get, one paycheck for one day of work, which wasn't too much. I hope you understand when you do the right thing. Usually, there's a blessing in store. Okay? All right? Okay, raise your right hand. Say I Understand. All right, let's pray. Thank you, Father, for uh, this story in that book of Acts. A lot of things that we see in this account of Philip bringing the gospel to the Ethiopian. And we pray that you help us to run into some Ethiopians who can give them the gospel as well people who need a man, a woman, 
to help them to understand the gospel. And may we be one of those, like a Philip, to bring the gospel to someone in our time. Help us, Father, to be obedient in small things. And we do pray that you would give us a blessing because we are obedient in the small things. And help these young people to get a blessing from learning to study your word. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.